Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know that some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whatever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. This is the September 3rd episode. We're in 1 Samuel, Ezekiel, and 1 Corinthians. All right, 1 Samuel 20, you said? Yes. Oh, man. This is where, like, things with David are, like, just really good. You know, where you're just looking at David and you're like, you're amazing, David. How did you get to be such a good human? Yeah, and you're looking at Saul and you're thinking, What's Don't you have a country to run? Yeah. Like, why are you spending every minute chasing David? Yes. Well, it, which is exactly like, that's what I'm hearing David say now. Like, I'm actually- He does David, say it at chasing, some point. Yeah. You're chasing a mouse. Like, why are you- Right. Or, or a mole or something like that. He was like, why do you have your eye on me? You have a country to run and you're chasing me who loves you. You're not. Right. But like the other thing too, is that he keeps calling him as anointed. Why? Which- Saul is his anointed, but I just think it's, it made, it convicted me because I was complaining about a brother in Christ yesterday with somebody for a really long time. And I was just thinking like for David, David didn't know that the Holy spirit had left Saul. Like we don't, he doesn't get to, David's kind of like, I don't get to decide when you are God's chosen and when you're not God's chosen. Mm -hmm. Like you are the King and I'm going to treat you with the dignity that the Lord has claimed on you, you know, like Mm -hmm. no matter what you deserve. And, um, I was just totally convicted by that. Every time I saw David call him his anointed and I was like, who am I? Like, I literally texted this, my um, friend back and I was like, who am I to judge God's anointed? Like, this is my brother who has done amazing things and who I can relate to in all the areas where he, I'm complaining about him. Like, Mm -hmm. please forgive me. Yeah. Anyway, it was just a very, it was, this was a very convicting chapter as I watched David deal with Saul, but yeah. Well, and just kind of, this doesn't necessarily apply to your conversation about your friend, but like David's recognition that all of that was in God's control, like that Mm -hmm. God saw what was going on. God, his recognition that God had anointed Saul as King, he was anointed to be the next King, but he was like, God's going to let me know when it's time for me to be the King. This is not something I take into my own hands. Mm -hmm. So all this time, he still recognizes Saul as God's anointed because he's still the kid. He's still there. Mm -hmm. So this whole, like David's just complete faith that God's, God's got this, like he's in control of this. This is not my job to take this into it. Kind of like what we talked about last week, that he was just like, I'm going to do what God calls me to do until he changes it. You know, like yeah. right now I'm not the king, I'm the anointed, but I'm not, I'm anointed to be the next king, but I'm not the king yet. And I will know for sure, like God's going to make it clear when it's time. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like I, God might have plans to kill him, but it's not going to be at my hand. Like right. I'm going to be sure right. that I'm sure that I'm sure that God yep. did this. Yeah. Yep. That's good. At the end of 20, I saw that, um, I don't remember. Oh, this is where God sends David off with Jonathan. There's like this exchange between Jonathan. Jonathan sets an arrow and tells the servant Mm -hmm. to go further. And that's how David knows that he needs to run. Jonathan meets David before he does run off away from Saul. 
and they wept with each other. Um, I love that my CSB at least um, qualifies it as though David wept more. And then um, Mm -hmm. in 42, you know, last year you read it. I read it not knowing what was coming this year. I'm reading it knowing what's coming. So in 42, it's a long verse, but it says, Jonathan then said to David, go in the assurance, the two of us pledged in the name of the Lord. When we said, the Lord will be a witness between you and me and between my offspring and your offspring forever. Then David left and Jonathan went into the city. I don't really know like what that means, like long-term for their offspring, but I did, it made me think of Mephibosheth or whatever his name is. That's Jonathan's mm-hmm. son that David will eventually welcome to his table. Like it's like mm-hmm. they oath between each other. Cause I don't think they get much. I don't know if David actually ever to gets see to see him much. again. Right. No, well, I was just going to start 22 when Saul murders all the priests. Yeah. So 22, I, at the, so I have something at the very beginning and then at the very end, I I felt like 22, what I was really seeing was the foreshadowing of Christ in the beginning. It says, so David left Gath and took refuge in the cave of Adullam. When David's brothers and his father's whole family heard, they went down and joined him there. In addition, every man who was desperate, in debt or discontented rallied around him and he became their leader about 400 men were with him this made me think of like jesus jesus is anointed king like he's king he is like born the king like he's worshiped as the king by these wise men like he's he is the king and yet he's just nobody recognizes him as king except the poor and destitute and mm-hmm. they recognize him as, as their leader. There's something about him that they just know this is the guy that I want to be with. And the same is happening here with David. Like he's anointed King. He will one day be King, but the only people that recognize it to follow him are the poor and the destitute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. I think it's cool. So I'll let you talk about what you see in 22 and then I'll wrap it up with the other foreshadowing that I saw. Hi, this is Aaron, and I'm glad that you're studying scripture with us here on the recap. I wanted to let you know that while we take a break from dive studies in August, we are studying the parenting study that I wrote in May over on the network. Please come join us for that. You'll get the parenting study for free with an all access pass, or you can purchase the study in the shop at divecollective.org. But you can come join us on the network for discussion at www.members.divecollective.org. Our Dive Genesis study will begin again in September with our study on Joseph. If you haven't joined us yet, we've been studying the book of Genesis in depth this year, starting with creation of Noah, then Abraham, and we just finished Jacob in July. You can catch those studies for free via podcast with a free community membership over on the network as well. I highly encourage you to join a live study though, through an all access pass. Those studies are far richer than you can imagine as your brothers and sisters bring their takeaways to the group each week. Can't wait to see you over in the network very soon. Now let's get back to the recap. I think I just don't remember how I didn't remember how terrible and crazy Saul went. Like I didn't remember. I mean, he's crazy. He's He's, nuts. He's completely. I mean, I guess he's laser focused. I guess that's something we could say about him. Like he's got this <laughs> one thing that he's going after. It's sad what jealousy does, right? Like yes, that, that's how jealousy works. Yeah. Right. And so along the way, at some point there was, I forget where I read. I think it's later on when during, cause there are a couple scenes in our reading this week where 
you know, when David can, he cuts the rope, he cuts the piece off of Saul's robe in the cave mm-hmm. and doesn't kill him. And then when he sneaks into the camp and takes mm-hmm. his spear and doesn't kill him, I think it's in one of those scenes where it sounds like Saul recognizes that David is yes. the next king. So, so, but we don't get yes. this like, clear picture of when Saul realizes that. So mm-hmm. somewhere along the way, Saul finds out that David's been anointed by Samuel um, as the next, as the next Kings. I don't know that he knows that he's been anointed, but he knows that he's like, he recognizes, Oh, I see what's happening here. You're going to be. Okay. Like, yeah. So maybe. I assume that he knows yeah. that he's been anointed, but somehow Saul finds out yeah. that he's, that David's the next King, but even like, whether he knows that or not, like you <laughs> said, he's, it's this jealousy thing. Like he's just mad. He's, his mind is gone with jealousy. I like yeah. It. Yeah. Because people like him better because people like David better and maybe because he knows he's going to be the next king, he's probably that, that knowledge makes him terrified for his life. I would assume because in order for David to be the king, Saul's going to die. Yes. Right? So he, but this, the scene where he kills all of the priests, I mean, yes, yes. What it's craziness. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's totally crazy. And he like the, the, the king's servants wouldn't lift a hand to execute yes. the priests. But at the end, I will say that um, when David says this, I was like, this is Jesus. Like he says um, in verse 22, so chapter 22, verse 22, I myself, because he's talking about the lives of the priests being, them being killed. He goes, I myself am responsible for the lives of everyone in your father's family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid for the one who wants to take my life, wants to take your life. Mm. You will be safe with me. I was like, that's oh yeah, so comforting. New Testament for there t- for sure. Yeah, like that's I. F- can, it's almost like I heard Jesus saying that to me. Like, mm-hmm. don't worry, I'm I'm responsible. Like it, for all of those who will who will sacrifice for Christ, He's like, don't. I'm the one that's responsible. Don't be afraid because the mm-hmm. one who wants to take my life wants to take your life. You'll be safe with me. That's like, I feel like that's exactly what I told Hannah yesterday. Hannah was asking me about Afghanistan and some of the things going on in the world. And I was like, that's, it is terrifying. And that's the, that's why we have such an advantage as believers, Mm. because we know that we're going to be, we're safe with Jesus. Like, even if, Mm. even if it means that we're going to die, like we're going to die with courage and trust that whatever we're doing, like. Our hope is our hope is with him and we are with him always and we'll always be with him. And that's such a comfort when everything else is is nuts. It's totally terrifying what's happening over there. Mm-hmm. But we're safe with Jesus. Yeah. That's the only comfort we have, really. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Ezekiel before we run out of time. I don't have much from Ezekiel. There's a couple of moments where I was like, uh, well, the picture of God as a rainbow and, um, just bright light, the description of him in chapter chapter one, one. which I think was last week, but maybe it was this week. No, that was this week. Okay. It was just, uh, I thought it was absolutely stunning Mm -hmm. and beautiful, but then there was another part where it was talking about, um, um, he basically said, Oh, the spirit entered me and set me on my feet. And mm-hmm. I listened to the one who was speaking to me. Like he, you can't stand in God's presence 
Like we can, we cannot stand in God's presence. And when God shows up, it, it brings us to our knees. Like we just are broken. Like we break in God's presence mm-hmm. and it's only his spirit that allows us. Like, it just made me think of just what it's like to be in God's presence and how it's only by God's spirit that we can even stand in his presence. Yeah. Yeah. Let alone understand what he's speaking to us. Like we can't even mm-hmm. be communicated to by the God of the universe, unless he puts yeah. his spirit in us to be able to, yeah, it's, it's just so far above man's ways. It's so far above mm-hmm. our c- capacity to understand, which is why Paul in Romans talks about it's or no first Corinthians, it's first Corinthians we read that this week. Yes. Yes. It's yep. foolishness. Everything about God's word and all about, about God's ways are foolishness to anybody outside, mm-hmm. but only those inside go can spur you on and affirm mm-hmm. what you're hearing because otherwise you just, you sound and look like a complete fool for following yeah, the spirit of God. But anyway, that yeah. Ezekiel is what it made me think of that. And the way that he said, God tells him to open his mouth and eat the scroll, mm-hmm. and, which makes me think of Jeremiah where Jeremiah is like, your word was found and I ate it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I never really, where it went. okay. I was like, did we, I feel like we just read this. This eating of the scroll felt very familiar. Yeah. And I couldn't remember if it was just from reading Ezekiel. Jeremiah. I think that's all I can really, uh, that's all I really thought about was just how sweet God's word is. And God's word isn't always like, isn't, um, isn't always good. Like the words that we have to speak aren't good, but yet right. when they're God's, like they, it feels, it, it's, there's a sweetness to knowing like this is, from the Lord, like it's mm-hmm. holy and amazing and um, exhilarating to be, right. to know that, you know, that, you know, God yeah. and that what you have is from him and him alone. Yeah. Anyway. It is interesting that this, when he eats the scroll, it's sweet because most of what I think at the end of Ezekiel. So I watched an intro to Ezekiel before I started reading it. And I think at the end of Ezekiel, we get some chapters of hope, but the rest of it is not fun to right. read. And we got into some like four, what do we read? Yes. Four, five, six this week was not pretty. But one of the things that I thought was interesting at the end of chapter four, right before he gets into like chapters five and six is just judgment. And God's saying <laughs> this terrible stuff is going to happen. And Ezekiel has to do these weird things. Like he has these, I think it's three he has to build the little model of Jerusalem and lay a siege. He has to lie on his side for a year. Yes. It's it's actually like significantly more than a year. And then he has to eat food that's cooked over poo. And then he has to cut his hair off. And the three, like he does three different things with it, which when you're reading it, you're like, what in the heck is this about? But then God explains later, like some people are going to be killed within the walls and some are going to be scattered. But right before we go into chapters five and six with all these terrible prophecies about what's going to happen to Israel at the end of four, this is when God's telling him what to do to lie on his side and, and this whole thing and to cook his food over cow dung. He lets him do it over cow dung instead of human dung. God says, okay, I'm going to make you do that. He says, um, he's talking about cutting off the food from Jerusalem. It's going to be famine not finding water. People will look at one another, see nothing but skin and bones and shake their heads. This is what sin does. And I just thought, well, then in five, he says that 
Israel has been more headstrong and willful than any of the nations around them, refusing God's guidance and ignoring his directions. They've sunk to the gutter level of those around them. So just that whole idea that this is horror. And yet this is what sin does like that. It is. And you know what I'm just thinking about? Like, as you're saying, so I've been kind of pondering all of this and like looking around me and going, that can't happen here. Like we're so established. We have technology and smart people and like, but this week, as I was reading Ezekiel, I was more looking around going, it absolutely can happen here. And it probably will at some point happen here. Like we could lose everything. God could decide to turn the rain off and we will not have anything to eat. Like there's God can do whatever he wants. And yet, like, as I'm listening to you, even I'm thinking about this, like this truth that I believe about God's character. And what I see as I read scripture, which is that he takes his people out of his judgment. He does not, he does not inflict his wrath upon the righteous. And so the way that even these people, all of these people that are experiencing this, like he actually took, he took the remnant, he took the righteous, the ones whose hearts were inclined toward him. And he put them in exile to save them from Mm -hmm. this disaster. And Mm -hmm. so like, there's just that, like such sweet comfort in knowing, even if everything starts to fall apart, we can trust that God will provide for us in the midst of it somehow, some way. We don't, we're not going to deal with his anger. Like his anger will not be inflicted on us. Not that we aren't going to go through suffering, but not that way. Like not. Yeah. Plus, in addition to all of that, this is the old covenant. We're not under this. Like if you do this, I'll do this. But people around us are right. So like now we're in this new covenant with Christ. And, and so in that, like we, like you're talking about, like he takes this remnant that don't see his wrath. We in this new covenant, we don't see his wrath because of Christ, because Christ took, Christ did that. Like under the new covenant of Christ, God poured out all his wrath on his son at the cross. So as believers, we will not as see believers. Wrath. Right. Right. Being protected from his wrath. Like that yes. thing that you're talking about in the old Testament, how God takes his, the Israelites, his people who are believing like Yes. His faithful followers yes. and protect them from his wrath. He does that for believers in Christ. In the yes. Yep. Totally. And that's why it's good to know his word because I can look at it and go, no, I've, I mean, I've looked, I've been, I'm going through it my second time and still I have not found a moment where God takes his people or the righteous and he pours out wrath and they experience any of it. Like he just, I can, I can now say that because I've read it, not because somebody's told me and I trust it. Right. You know what or I mean? you hope you yeah. hope that's or I hope. Yeah. It's yeah. like, no, I'm looking, I'm watching even like to read that in Jeremiah in the last few weeks and go, Oh my gosh, he literally like exile was him. It's the ark. Like he took them out and he put them in this safe place while he did this thing. And then he's going to bring them back and mm-hmm. reestablish them. That's what he's, that's what, he, that's how he works. That's how he works. Yeah. So, and then one of my favorite things that we talked about last week that kind of fits with this is just that idea that him doing these bad things that he said he was going to do is another way for us to trust that he is all the good things that he says he is, you know, like I, yeah, that he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises and we can count on it because we're looking at here, all the things that he said he was going to do in Deuteronomy, if we chose death, Mm -hmm. if we chose death. Yeah. And literally all we have to do to choose life is go, 
Yes, Jesus. Like you're the king. Yeah. You're my king. First Corinthians. I don't have much from first Corinthians. I, except I was just kind of thinking, man, first Corinthians is just Romans written to a different audience. (laughs) And okay, here we go into the, like for it's so reading first Corinthians with this fact that it thinking about the specific audience. Yeah. It was interesting for me, like, oh, this is this is to like these specific people. And yes, there's application for us, but it's not universal. Yes. Well, it's just, if you think about the way that like the way he writes to first Timothy about women, but then you look here in chapter seven, when he's talking about principles of marriage and like giving, mm-hmm. giving yourself to one another, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like not holding yourself. Totally back. mutual. Yeah. I was like looking at this and thinking about it in Paul's time and what Paul's doing. Paul was not traditional. Like when he looked, when he says, um, a wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does in the same way. A husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does like that was radical. That right. is not like being written in America. That was being written. Yeah. There was nothing. Paul was never into gender roles, no matter what we want, how we want to read all of these other things to enforce our gender roles. Like Paul again and again and again is actually like, we are all the same in Christ. Like when he says no male and female slave, nor free, like he's, he's literally means like the the playing field is, is even. And when he writes that in seven, I was like, Whoa, like that was the first time I saw it. And I was like, in his context and in his culture, that was a big, yeah, that was pretty radical huge statement. Yeah. 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 We started in chapter two. One of the things I loved about the beginning of chapter two is Paul's giving like a lot of first Corinthians is really practical. Like this is how you live. But at the, in chapter two verses around verse six, maybe he says, we of course have plenty of wisdom to pass on to you once you get your feet on firm spiritual ground. Mm. And I just thought about like Paul, I think we've seen this a lot. I think we've seen this other times too with Paul, but like he, it's like, he recognizes, okay, you're not quite ready. You are still a baby in Jesus and you're not ready for everything, but he's writing, this is a church at Corinth that he knows. And he's telling them very specific things that he has heard about and has seen that they're struggling with, but it's still all based in like, this is what you're, I'm going to tell you what you're ready for. Some of you might not be ready for all of this, but I just thought that was really cool. How Paul recognizes that just the process of discipleship and sanctification that we, when we come to Christ, sometimes our lives change, change drastically overnight, but a lot of times like people are coming and the spirit gradually opens their eyes to truth through through his spirit and through other believers. And so sometimes we're not ready for all of it right at the beginning, but like you just said, like you just said, like all, all you're doing is saying, okay, Jesus is my King. Like that's how we get to that point. We acknowledge, yes, yes, you are King and you are the one that I need for salvation. And then all of the rest of the practical living and that stuff comes as we grow. Yes. Like these people are believers. Like Paul is writing to believers. Yes. It's like tremendous sexual immorality going into the church. Yes. But he's not talking about homosexuality. He's talking about 
sexual immorality. There are men sleeping with their mother-in-laws. Yes, exactly. Like he's talking about all sexual, all sexual immorality. And this idea that we have as the church, that people have to get their lives in order and then they can be saved or baptized. Mm -hmm. Like that's the opposite of the way we were intended to make disciples and we're still discipling people. Even once they're in the church, they can say Jesus is King and still not really have, they're not going to have a full idea of what that even means when they first make that decision. Mm -hmm. It's a growing process. And Paul is literally talking to the church and he's saying, this is what's going on in your church, like in, like among believers. And he's saying like, get, this is the time you need to be maturing. You need to be getting your house in order, but that's what Mm -hmm. happens in the church. We don't expect people to be perfect and have everything in order before they, before they're welcome in the church Mm -hmm. where we're, we're supposed to be a mess and that's expected. And even Paul is writing to a really messy church and saying, these are the things that you need to get in order and then you'll be ready. I will say that that same chapter though, because right after that is yeah, where that was like the that's, depths of God conversation. It's, yeah. It's the, this is like, I feel like chapter two of first Corinthians is the best theology on the Holy spirit. Like this is where like the meat of what the Holy spirit is and does is I feel like revealed. I mean, mm-hmm. John, the gospel of John is a huge, I feel like John's really trying to teach about the Holy spirit like that's what his gospel is about. It seems like to me as I'm reading it again, but in this chapter where God, where he's like the spirit of God knows all things, even the depths of God. And that Mm -hmm. is what's in you. You have the mind of Christ. Like you have the spirit of God in you. And so you have the mind of Christ. That Mm -hmm. idea is basically saying, you're not going to understand it all, but yet you have the capacity to Mm -hmm. understand even the depths of God because Mm -hmm. he put his spirit in you. And I like to compare it to a mom who really would love to share with their kids, how much she loves them. Like you want to communicate or be able to tell your kids how much you love them, but there's no words or way to express it. But God solved that problem by just putting his soul in us so that Mm -hmm. we can have an idea or grow in the capacity to know Mm -hmm. the depth of God's love and knowledge and wisdom, which is just mind-boggling mm-hmm. yep i feel like that's if we could wrap up that would be awesome because i'm at okay. 35 minutes okay um, so, uh, the last thing i loved in first corinthians was at the end of six yeah when he's talking about um the physical part the physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you god owns the whole works so let people see god in and through your body and so i was just thinking about that i remember like when we first moved to Virginia beach, oh my goodness, 15 years ago, I remember we had so many conversations at our church about like, um, like whole life gospel, the idea that the gospel changes our lives and that it changes every part of our lives that our, that our Christian self is not separate from our work self or separate from our school self, or like just that idea of allowing who Jesus is and what he's done to permeate every single aspect of your life. And so this, he's talking about like the physical part and the spiritual part are not separate. And so it was just a fun, kind of like a fun thing for me to think about and contemplate that we are, we're created as whole beings. And my, it, it also made me think about something we've talked about a lot of times that I love to talk about. And that idea of like, 
enjoying things that God, the good gifts that God's given us, like that we get to enjoy these physical things like food and clouds and relationship, like these, these earthly physical things that we have, we can enjoy them on a whole different level because of our spiritual side. When we recognize that those are gifts that God has given us to enjoy and to reflect himself. Like it gives us the capacity to understand God. That's just like, I love to just kind of let my want my mind wander in that realm of thought. And so the end of six was a fun opportunity for me to let my mind wander in that again, just that we're so good. Cause that is not what chapters, the end of chapter six said to me at all, but I love that so much. Like the end of chapter six is all about like um, your body being a temple and, um, the two becoming one flesh. Yes. yes. Right. It's right at the end of that section about sex. Yeah. But I, I do love that. Um, I, I just love that thought, especially considering, well, Romans, I feel like that's what Romans seven, eight, nine, I feel like that's kind of that, that message that I'm still pondering. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that's kind of what you're saying is that our, our, our flesh and our spirit is all wrapped up together in one being. And it's not, and we don't have to, um, we don't have to live condemned by our flesh. Mm -hmm. We live alive in the spirit. And I was, I mean, as you're talking, like I'm picturing, like just how life is more colorful and vibrant for people in the spirit. You know, everything is shaded. It's almost like we get more, you know, how we can only see, what seven colors or whatever, but like, because that's what our cones are made of, Mm. but like when in heaven, we're going to have, we're going to see all the colors. It's going to be infinitely more vibrant than it is. But I feel like that's sort of like the way that God makes our eyes when we're filled with the spirit. Yes. It's that whole, we see more color. Yep. Just like it totally ties back to what you were just talking about with this, with the whole idea of the fact that we have the spirit inside of us. That's what gives us a capacity to even wrap our heads around how our physical and our spiritual is like all of these things that we're talking about are intertwined. They all tie yes. together and build on one another and interact with each other. And yes. So good. That's the recap. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the recap. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth Bible studies where we model our version of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org and we will see you next week.